Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with the CMO of Demandbase, John Miller. But what many of you probably know is that John has had an amazing career co-founding companies like Marketo, later acquired by Adobe, and ultimately Engageo, which he started and became part of Demandbase. Now, I've known John for probably close to 10 years now. When I was just getting into the technology space, I was willing to do anything to grab five minutes of his time to understand how do I sell to marketers? He gave me much more than five. We grabbed coffee, we became friends. And over the years, I've watched his career continue to expand in cool ways, including zeroing in on account-based marketing. That's what Demandbase and John's focus is all about. And as a result, today we're able to talk very much about how do we target people and hit them at the right time. John clarifies that account-based marketing is not just finding the right accounts and sending them the right message, but it's understanding where they are in their journey. And we talk about this idea of understanding the path or journey that each buyer is going and how we can connect with them. This is a fantastic episode to understand a unique career and a modern way of going to market. John, really excited that you've stopped in. I have so many questions to ask you, but let's start with you telling the story of how you became CMO of Demandbase and how, at what point you got excited about that. Yeah, I mean, I certainly never thought that growing up, you know, that my career was going to be CMO. I mean, growing up, I thought I was going to be an astronaut, probably like okay. a lot of other kids. I actually, and I studied physics for my undergraduate degree and, you know, kind of seriously thought I would go and be uh, an academic in, in physics. Uh, I even got into MIT for, for a PhD program when I was graduating from college. But at the same time, you know, I had, I just saw all these other people going into consulting and banking and these kind of high profile sort of glamorous careers. And I kind of thought, well, I'm just as smart as they are. Maybe I should at least check out what this other world looks like. And so I ended up deferring MIT for a year and got a job uh, at a management consulting firm. And because of my analytical background, I think I've quickly found myself working on projects that were sort of about how to use data and analytics to make better decisions around customers, you know, which is ultimately became known as um, CRM. And this was 1994, right around the same time that the book called The One-to-One Future had come out. This was by Don Peppers and Martha Rogers. And they were really talking about this future vision where through technology and through data, companies could deliver kind of corner store level personalization with industrial era economies of scale. And those kind of things came together. And, you know, with like the projects I was working on, and this vision of the one-to-one future, and it's kind of planted in my brain a little bit. So fast forward a couple of years, I decided to leave consulting, go to grad school. And I was, you know, I graduated business school in 1999, right? So right when it was internet frothiness. Right. 
And yeah, I thought, oh, I'll just go back to consulting. But gosh, everybody's going into high tech in 1999. Maybe I should try kind of high tech. And I was able to get a job at this company called Epiphany, uh, which was cool to me because they were trying to sort of build technology for the one-to-one future that could sort of use data and analytics to deliver more custom, valuable, relevant kind of interactions. Um, And so I joined them as like, I think their first product manager actually at the time. And Epiphany was, you know, a good experience. I learned a ton. It was my first real tech job and it worked out financially. We had a nice IPO. at one point, had a crazy high valuation before then the internet bubble crashed and everything kind of went down the other the other side. But I was with Epiphany for about seven years and I got promoted multiple times. And by the end, I was the vice president of product marketing. So I sort of moved from product management side of the world to the product marketing side of the world. And what was it that, that took you to the marketing side after starting in consulting? You know, and I ask that fast forwarding even more for people who probably know your name, know some of the companies you've been with, you've been a CEO and you've been a CMO. What was it about marketing that perhaps gave you the vision that you could run a company one day? Well, at the time, I didn't have that vision (laughs) that I could kind of run a company one day. In product management, I was building products to help marketers. And there was just something about like, that connection of like, I'm, you know, I build products for marketers, I can be a marketer. It's just that that transition didn't feel weird, kind of, again, moving from building products for marketers to marketing products for marketers. Um, Let me ask you a different question then, same same mindset, and and let's weave this into being one of the co-founders of Marketo. When you were building that company, when you were building that vision, were you building for your own challenges? Or were you building for the marketers that you had learned about at Epiphany? Initially, the latter, right? So so what happened was we ended up selling Epiphany finally in about 2004. I mean, at this point, I had my first mortgage. My wife was pregnant with our first kid. You know, it wasn't exactly the time in my life when I'm thinking super entrepreneurial. You know, and so I started looking for some jobs. You know, I actually almost took a job as a forester analyst, almost took a job at Fair Isaacs because I just thought they were doing cool stuff with data and analytics. And I was also interviewing with some like little startups for VP marketing jobs. While all that was happening, I started talking with Phil Fernandez, who had been the president of Epiphany. And we both sort of had a vision of a company that we could start, you know, which was really, it was a business model vision where we, we felt like, Marketing technology clearly is valuable, but it had been too hard to buy because traditionally, and like Epiphany, it was a capital investment. You had to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars up front to get the technology. And that's not how marketers bought stuff, right? Marketers would spend money on Google AdWords or trade shows, and it was a very OPEX-oriented budget. Campaign-minded. Yeah. So the idea of Marketo was really, can we deliver powerful enterprise-class software that markers could buy like OPEX. Um, and that me- meant it had to be SaaS, it had to be easy to buy and easy to own and easy to use. And at the time, I did a whole pro-con and like that just felt like the best job I could get, you know, <laughs> starting Marketo because it was sort of, you know, had things that were in the plus column versus the other VP marketing jobs. And the fact I could do it with Phil made it a little bit less risky. 
That's so great. we started Marketo, you know, and I sort of took the role of the head of marketing at the time because I was, you know, the closest thing to a marketer we had, right? I mean, I had done product marketing, you know, back at, at Epiphany, uh, really innovated with content marketing and then kind of demand generation over time. And obviously Marketo was a big success. Lots of things worked out to kind of make it successful. Just to finish off the, the story that you asked then, right? So then nine years at Marketo, you know, it got a lot bigger. Um, I had then focusing, started focusing not as the full CMO, but just the VP of demand gen and the VP of product marketing again when we hired Sanjay as CMO. And after nine years, it just sort of felt, wasn't, didn't feel like my baby anymore. It felt like this is a job at a big company. And I was itching kind of for that entrepreneurial experience again, because I'd enjoyed it so much from Marketo. And at this point, I felt because of the Marketo success and everything I'd learned and the contacts I'd made and the reputation I'd built, that I would be able to do another startup this time as CEO myself. That's what led to Engageo, an account-based marketing platform, five years at Engageo, and then in 2020, I started speaking with Demandbase. And what we realized is just their platform that they had and the platform I'd built at Engageo were just a perfect complement to each other. And that the combination was going to be the best ABM platform. I've always been driven by building the best product I could build. And this it was inevitable that once I saw the synergies of these two platforms together, the merger was inevitable. Kind of, I kind of had to make it happen. So I joined as a CPO, Chief Product Officer of Demandbase when we merged the companies, uh, helped to merge the platforms. And then after about six or seven months, uh, it was time to change out their CMO anyways. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Gabe, our CEO, about, okay, well, who might we hire for CMO? You know, and I was, we were brainstorming some names and whatnot. And then finally, I was like, actually, I think I should be the CMO. No. <laughs> so we sort of talked about it and realized, yeah, that made sense. We'd have to hire somebody else's CPO to fill what I was leaving there. Um, and that's how I became CMO at Demandbase. So it's... It's an amazing story. I mean, it, it's it, it's still still obviously uh, developing and, and I'm excited to see what comes next for Demandbase. I have a question for you that, you know, because we're talking about career journeys, and you're not the first CMO lately that I've spoken to who's been a CEO at some point. And I, I actually think more and more CMOs eventually will become CEOs because of the need of a CMO to work cross-functionally. But now that you're back in the CMO seat, what is some of the biggest distinctions between being a CEO and being a CMO that you've had to adjust to, to re-enter into this focus? First off, I'll say the CEO deals with so many little things that like he or she just deals with that kind of nobody even kind of knows that they're dealing with it just because like it just needs to be done. Uh, it, it's actually shocking how much stuff there is, you know, kind of to do as a CEO, especially at a smaller company, you know, where the CEO kind of ends up being kind of the executive of the last resort, filling the gaps of what kind of nobody else is doing. You know, there's also more people issues as CEO for some reason, right? Even though I'm managing just as big a team at demand base as I had at Engageo, there's there's just more people complexity, I think, as the CEO. And then obviously worrying about fundraising uh, is something that's sort of not on my table, my plate as a CMO. All that means is that I can be, frankly, more focused on my job, you know, per se, which is a good thing, but I do feel like sometimes just don't get that as broad a perspective as I had in the CEO seat. 
just it's just something that's interesting how just like that's just the nature do, of kind do of, you have an itch at times to go and think into the future as to will your next gig be a cmo or ceo gig uh yeah i mean i'm not leaving demand base anytime soon but my next gig will be ceo either likely of another business i start or or perhaps one that i join very very cool can't wait to see that we're going to keep you around. We're going to chat more. We're going to shift over and talk about the buyer journey, probably over at Demand Base after a break here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. As some of you may know, this past year, I stepped away from being the CMO of Uberflip. And when I did so, I actually reached out to John because as he hit on in this recording, there was a point where he stepped aside as the CMO at Marketo. I wanted to know how he came to that decision, how he felt good about it. And he was really direct with me. He said, there's a point where you have to start to think about what's best for the business and how that sets your customers and even yourself up to succeed down the line. You hear John talk about even the evolution in modern day of being the CEO and seeing a better fit for Engageo with Demandbase, coming in and playing the role of chief product officer and ultimately guiding himself back to take over as CMO. There's the right role for us at every time in a company. And when you join an entrepreneurial environment, it's important to not just obsess over what you want to do, but how you can succeed and the business can succeed with the skills you can bring at that right moment. So John, as you're aware, I was an early customer of Engageo and what my team loved about that platform was the ability to dig in and look at the path that each customer took. You know, the reality was no one took the same path, but we could scrutinize to try and understand similarities, but also the very many differences. At a high level, what have you been able to deduce in terms of the mindset around a buyer journey? Is there a ultimate buyer journey? I mean, I, I, I think almost every buyer t is taking somewhat of a different path, you know, towards kind of their outcome. You know, so many parts, there's so many influences on that journey that are things that, you know, are also uh, invisible to us through kind of traditional tracking technologies. You have a conversation with somebody, right? And then that, that sets them off on their buyer's journey. And that's completely, you know, to maybe go buy demand base or something. And that's just completely hidden, you know, kind of from, from kind of any kind of tracking. And then people get distracted and then buyer's journeys get stalled out. And then something else, their board member says something and that kicks something else off. And, <laughs> right. Right. So you end up with these very nonlinear bouncing around journeys that frankly are like incredibly complex, um, hard to measure, hard to manage, hard to really know what to do with. So with that in mind, 
question for you. I mean, what do you think is more important, tracking every step or knowing when intent is high? I guess I wouldn't have I wouldn't think about it necessarily as making that an or statement. How do the two connect then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I mean, so there, there, I think there are lots of stages to the buyer's journey. And, you know, people use different metaphors or ways to describe kind of those different stages. Even if you're taking a nonlinear journey, I think you sort of roughly are going through some kind of sets of high level stages, right? So, you know, for me, the way I think about it at demand base, there might be, you know, we have a stage that we call just target, right? Which is that person really just is the, the very earliest stages of their journey. You know, they don't even know we exist or that they have a problem, you know, effectively. But there's somebody we think that we might want to sell to, right? And compare that to then the stage that we might call aware, which is, all right, they're aware that this category exists, you know, and that there may be solutions out there, but they still really aren't doing much engagement with us as a brand. Then there's a stage that we might call engaged, Okay, they're starting to do something with us. They've been to our site a couple of times and whatnot. But that's still a very far step from actually being in, ready to buy, like looking to make a purchase, kind of an active deal cycle. You know, then so there's the stage of, okay, they're looking to buy. There's an active deal cycle. We call that stage just the marketing qualified account or the MQA because it's kind of a play on the classic MQL. And then there's this multiple stages of the opportunity. And then even, you know, as a customer, this whole thing continues, right? You can go through that exact same process, but for additional products that you might sell to the same business units or different business units. So back to your question, you know, whether it's useful to track everything they're doing or tracking kind of intent, you kind of need both. You know, I think that a company that showed very high intent, perhaps, but wasn't engaging with you at all, is still somebody you're going to interact with differently than somebody that was showing both intent as well as engagement with you. Similarly, somebody that's showing high engagement but no intent, right, tells you that's a different set of signals that kind of tells you something different about what's going on. So I, I, I think that Ultimately, what you want to do, kind of implied in what I just said, is align how you're treating each account and each person based on where they are in their journey. So you hit on a, on a great point there in summarizing that, that leads to my next question. I actually really uh, appreciate how you also explain the stages because I think everyone's got their own term for different stages. It's interesting to understand how a company that does this at its core thinks about stages. But you said at the end there that an account or a person, and one of the things that we all know, and, and this is especially true, say you're selling to a marketing organization, uh, you know, the champion who may be a manager level or director level may be at what you called marketing qualified account much earlier than say the CMO is even aware that this solution exists. So is it more about treating the account as a whole at that certain stage and understanding how different stakeholders play at that stage? Or is it treating each individual across the journey that they're going through? 
you, this is not an or, this is an and. You, I think you need both. You know, okay. I mean, and ultimately, I mean, what, what we're talking about here is just segmentation, right? Every, every good marketing campaign ever was good because it had good segmentation. And the same is true here, right? You know, you want to segment who you're talking to an account based on where they are in that journey, right? And knowing that an account is a, at a certain stage gives you a lot of clues about how to interact the people with the people at that account. But then also knowing their individual engagement signals tells you a lot of clues about how to interact with the individual people at that account. You know, from a tracking perspective, I wrote an article recently about the double funnel and saying, hey, it's okay, even if you're an ABM shop, it's okay to have MQLs and MQAs. But even if you're in all in one or the other land, I still think knowing what's happening at the account is important for MQLs and knowing what's happening with individual people is important for an account-based journey. No, it's, it's, it's a simple way to look at it. And, but to your point, people, people can get overwhelmed between buying in on one or buying in on the other. Another question, you know, just given your expertise on, on all this is, and, and also combining your experience over the years. I mean, at Marketo, right or wrong, I associate that the obsession was tracking email opens. That was the golden, is this person engaged? And I'm sure it was, the vision was to do a lot more, so. but, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, that was the, the most clear thing that we could all look at. You know, I'd say that a lot of the solutions like demand bases have done a really good job at bringing ad engagement in to understand how what type of impression people see. What is an area that, that you think in the future will be able to track better or you just wish as a CMO? As you said earlier, there's so many things you don't know what they're doing. What's one area you, you hope to see us able to track better? Well, I think a big trend that's just starting to come online more for at least for SaaS companies is product usage uh, and kind of bringing effectively that PLG data into the kind of the rest of the funnel uh, and using that for both, you know, potentially again, PLG motions, but also cross-selling expansion motions. You know, I think that's probably the biggest thing we'll see over the next two or three years is kind of that becoming a more common source that marketers are using in their journeys and segmentation and things like that. One last question for you, and and I know it's the cliche question you get all the time, but I but I got to ask it nonetheless because because it's you. So ABM, ABX, ABE, there's so many different acronyms out there. What what is in your mind first of all the right acronym, and what why that, and what does that mean? I mean, we I've been calling it ABX recently, which stands for account based experience. I think the most important thing is you don't call it account based marketing because everything we've learned is that this is not a marketing initiative. Um, this is really a way of thinking about your go-to-market. So whether you want to call it account-based go-to-market or account-based experience or account-based everything or account-based sales and marketing, frankly, whatever's right for your business you know, at that point. Increasingly, I'm just thinking about is, is like, this is just your go-to-market. And I've got my tier one accounts that get more resource my tier two accounts that get a lot, but not as much. My tier threes that get less, you know, my fours and even my fives. You know, the fives are just kind of, gosh, anybody I might possibly sell to. But by being really thoughtful about which accounts go to each of those buckets, I'm effectively just doing my demand gen and my go to market in a way which, just by definition, I'm putting more on the better stuff. 
you know, so is that demand gen? Is that go to market? Or is that, is that ABM? I don't really know or care, right? It's just, it's a smarter way of doing your go to market. You know, it's driven by intelligently putting people in the right, you know, tiers. Great guidance, great uh, simplicity. And, and you know, I, I'm big on this go-to-market term as well. It's a big part of how we talk to marketers and learn from marketers here at Uberflip. So couldn't agree more. We're going to keep you around for a couple more quick questions like that one right after a break here on The Marketer's Journey. You heard John Miller say it, go to market, GTM. This acronym is becoming more and more part of the language that flows through any organization. And I believe that's because it unites multiple groups from sales to marketing to product to think about how we can create a great experience for our buyer. More and more companies are going to focus on your go-to-market. And what that means to me is that they're not just thinking about what their solution does. They're thinking about how their solution intertwines with your people, your process, and other pieces of technology. The go-to-market framework that I talk about most often is as simple as identify, attract, and engage. Solutions like John's at Demandbase will help you and identify the right accounts, attract them through channels like the ads that they can serve, and then to engage, we send them to pages like those of Uberflip that allow you to ensure that each piece of content is relevant to that buyer. This go-to-market motion is something that we need to think about at every stage of the buyer journey, just as John pointed out today. John, we've talked about your career journey, which is quite unique. Not every marketer is going to become a CEO and then a CMO. But when you think about the next CMO, maybe it's someone on your team today or someone you've worked with, do you think they're getting there by being more of a specialist in marketing or doing more of a tour of duty, being more of a generalist? I mean, I've always been a fan of the term, the phrase, the T-shaped marketer. You know, for those of you who don't know the term, T-shaped marketer is deep in one area. Uh, and then they can kind of dabble in, and they sort of have a little bit of knowledge in a lot of different areas. And I think that's uh, the, the way it's going to work, you know, today. I mean, at the end of the day, you have CMOs that have, there's three areas of marketing. There's demand gen, there's product marketing, there's corporate marketing. Every CMO is going to have a minor in one of those areas, a major in one of those areas, and a minor in the other area, and a gap in the third. You know, so as long as you're really developing your major and your minor, uh, you're going to be the right CMO for some company. That's great guidance. So this takes me to another question. And back at Marketo, as you said, you dipped your toes in content, but I think you went pretty deep, did some pretty cool things. I admired the way you led with Marketo's strategy and content. These days, what type of content is it that you think that gets buyers generally to lean in and click? Yeah, I, I think it is changing. I mean, at Marketo, I you know sort of innovated with these definitive guides, these big meaty books that were you know 100, 200 pages long, and they were really, really successful for Marketo. I have a guide at Demandbase that I think I'm really, really proud of, but. Honestly, it's hard, I think, to kind of necessarily get people to engage with like a big meaty book. And we're finding people are engaging a lot more with, you know, that kind of bite-sized social content, uh, whether it's literally a TikTok video or a short other kind of video, 
um, or even like a meme type of you know, piece of content. So I really do think whether you know it's generational or whatnot, appetites for content are changing to be more snackable. It's, I definitely see that in the content that demand base is putting out. So it's uh, definitely something in, in your new head of content, John, another John is uh, are aligned on. My, my next question here is, is around personalization. You know, there's a big element of demand base and your entire career that has helped create a bit more personalized experience. But what do you think it means to be personalized today beyond I know your name? I mean, I think the most important factor of personalization goes back to the journey stuff we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, right? Which is personalize, be you know, or adjust your marketing to that person and that company based on where they are in their journey, right? If somebody is in that target phase where they don't even know they have a problem, don't ask them to get a demo with you, right? It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not appropriate, you know? And so the more you can understand where they are, I think the more relevant you can be in the interaction, that's the personalization that matters. That's great. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, not just right, right content, right person, but right time and place uh, is, is such an important factor. Last question for you today, maybe the hardest one, because uh, you've been nonstop since you, since you started your career, but how do you take pauses? How do you take time for what's important, be it family, be it yourself? Yep. I really got two uh, passions that have sort of become even more intense since the kind of COVID pandemic. You know, one on the good side, healthier side of things is I've been, I, I exercise and started actually doing yoga almost every day. You know, and I find that's a really important way to stave off aging. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm getting older. Uh, <laughs> so the more I can do to keep my body in shape, the better. And then the second thing, which goes directly against that is a passion for cocktails. Uh, and I've been um, growing my bar larger and larger and trying you know, more and more crazy cocktails. All right. So two final questions, even though I said that was the last one. What is your yoga app of choice? Because I assume you've done this at home. And what is your drink of choice? So my yoga app of choice is actually just YouTube. There's lots of really, really awesome teachers on there that have deep libraries of videos. Um, although I also do use my Peloton uh, app for yoga. Cocktail, favorite cocktail changes by the seasons. Um, you know, these days I'm still, well, I'm still very into Italian Amaros and any cocktail that you can make with those. All right. Well, there now, now everyone knows how to personalize every campaign to you uh -huh. for the rest of eternity. John, I can't thank you enough for sharing your journey. For those listening in and hearing John's, as you can tell, everyone's journey is unique. It's different. Yours is probably taking its own path. One day, maybe you'll join us on this podcast to share it. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.